why does the dynamic between Charles Xavier and Magneto present us with some pretty compelling storytelling? We're going to get into that. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay Shear. On today's podcast, author Bobby Nass joins Daryl Smith and I to dig deeper into X-Men First Class. This is episode number one in our X-Men series. By the way, for articles written by Ashley Pauls and Anthony Holder and access to all of our premium content, including our aftercasts, visit thestorygeeks.com. On today's aftercast, the follow-up podcast to the one we're recording right now, we are going to dig even deeper into the world of the X-Men and specifically First Class. Don't want to miss out on that. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into X-Men First Class. Bobby Nash, welcome back to the show, sir. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a while. Yeah. Which number is this for you? Uh, three? Four? Is it only three? Yeah, it's, it's, been thought... a, it's just been a handful, yeah. Okay. I think the last time I was here, we were talking, was it? Daredevil or or Civil War, one of the two. Something I don't like remember that. Which. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I know comic booky. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I remember we we talked about Daredevil Yellow on one of the episodes. Yes, and we then, did. Yes, and we I did. remember, and I remember we did a really deep dive into Civil War. Yeah, we really did. And then there was, I think there was one before that. I think this is your fourth time. On that sounds show. about right. Yeah, because you were back way, way back near the beginning. We had you on for something too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're inching towards your five timers jacket. That's right. There we go. Need a new jacket. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm old enough to get that joke. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, when we do these episodes, I always sort of feel like I'm the the resident comic book guru. Mm. But Bobby, with you here, man, I get to take a back seat. You, <laughs> you yes, are going to put me to shame. Talking- great. Especially when we're talking Marvel stuff, because you know, yes. I'm, I, I was, I was definitely a Marvel zombie growing up. Yeah. How much time do you think you've spent reading X Men comics over the course of your life? Ooh, that's a toughie. I, <laughs> I was introduced to the X Men. I remember the year, and I only remember the year because it was the year we moved. So we moved in 1990, uh, 1983. We moved to the small town called Winder, which I still live there. Um, the, and so I moved to a new school, um, seventh grade. I started two weeks after school started. So I'm, I'm already at a disadvantage. The first guys I met there, one of the first guys I met there was a gentleman named Cortez Pascal who became, you know, a great friend and Jeff Allen and guys like that, who I still speak to today, still hang out with. And they were comic readers. And they introduced me to some books I had never heard of before, like X-Men. I remember, you know, and so I remember reading them and just kind of falling in love with the, the storytelling and the art. And the first one I ever read, I don't remember issue numbers, but it has a pretty famous cover. They're in Japan and it's got Wolverine on the cover running at you with Rogue running behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a it's a great one of the Japanese storylines, and all the X Men have been poisoned except them two, and they're out trying to find out who did it and stop them. And, and I read that, and I was just like, man, this is great. And so, I started reading, and we started filling in back issues because they had some of the older ones, and so I started reading X Men there, 
And I think I didn't stop reading X-Men on a regular basis probably until right around the time they uh, did the Onslaught stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. And then I kind of kind of got out of it for a while. So you've definitely got some hours on me, which is yeah. totally cool. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, I, I've, read a, I've read an X-Tale or two. Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, um, and you're a writer yourself. So, uh, yes. before we get started, let's talk, let's hear a bit about, uh, your books. And then I know we're going to, we're going to talk about a little giveaway we're doing here, but first tell us about your books and then we'll talk about the giveaway. Cool. Well, yeah, I've been writing for quite a number of years. I write a lot of, uh, novels, uh, short stories. I do comics. I write comics when I can. Um, I don't get to write comics near as often as I would like. Um, but that, that that's kind of my first love. That was what got me into wanting to be a writer. Um, because I wanted to be an artist and I'm just not, not good enough to be a, like a really <laughs> professional comic book artist, but it started, uh, to have things to draw. I started writing stories and turned out I was better at writing the stories than drawing the stories. So, uh, that's kind of where my love of creating and telling stories came from. So I, I do comics whenever I can. Um, you know, if any publishers out there listening to that, <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I also mostly, mostly in the last few years, my writing has been, uh, writing novels and short stories and, um, for publishers. And I also do some self-publishing. Um, I have an indie press called Ben books. Um, and I do a lot of smaller things and novellas and things that are just, they're the things that I want to do, you know, just cool sure. things that, that are my characters and, uh, kind of lives in this reality there's a lot of thrillers involved i like to you know it always sounds weird when i say this but i like to kill people um, <laughs> and, like uh, joss whedon yeah you know so people are you know i kill people there's gunfights and car chases and a lot of action and a lot of thrillers and just spooky stuff and heightened tension things like that that i the stuff that i enjoy reading and i enjoy writing it and watching it in movies and tv of that sort and so yeah, so I've been trying in the last couple of years to to get Ben Books kind of moving forward, and um, the uh, current series that I'm working on, Snow, which we're going to do a giveaway here on, is uh, seems to have uh, struck a chord with readers. So we're really trying to amp that up, and uh, we're making a. I say we're the company is me, <laughs> uh, you know. So anytime I say we, it's the royal we. Um, so yes, because I'm a, I'm a one man band, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I'm I'm out trying to to spread the word about the books, and uh, because I, for all the good I'm hearing from the people that read them, I would like to have a whole lot more people read them. Sure. Yeah, and absolutely. so yeah, so uh, we're you know I've put together this this promotion uh where i'm doing a thing called the summer of snow which we actually have that as a hashtag as well hashtag the summer of snow and uh i'm in the process now of doing a short story for an anthology and there's series one is going to be six books total there's four of those already released all the titles have snow in them there's snowfalls snowstorm snow drive snow trapped uh book five will be out uh probably in august that one's snow business um and then 
later on this year will be the wrap-up of Series 1, which is the, the sixth book, called Snow Down. That, that kind of wraps up what begins in Snow Falls. Cool. So I, th- I thought it was clever. Snow Falls Down. So As long as you don't call it Endgame. That's it, right, right. So. <laughs> right. As long as I'd have to work snow in there somewhere. You do, but, you yeah. do. Um, and we are planning, there, there are plans for things beyond Series 1, um, I may not do another, you know, like all six of these books make one big story, but I do try to make it so each story has an ending point. So each book tells a whole story, although there's stuff that will lead into the next one or, you know, the, there's subplots that make up the part of the big story. Awesome. Well, we're doing a special giveaway here. So um, book five, as you said, is coming out in about a month. And um, you are giving away an audiobook and an ebook of your first book, Snow That's Falls. Correct. Snow Falls, yes. So, listeners, um, as you're listening to this now, there are two ways that you can enter to win that book. One, there is a post on our Facebook group, the Story Geeks Facebook group, right now, where you can go and comment on that post. You want to comment with the hashtag The Summer of Snow. Be sure and get the the in there. The yes. summer of snow. Yes. Otherwise, you're going to be talking to snowboarders. That's right. <laughs> so go there and and comment with that hashtag. That's how you'll enter. Another way you can enter is to email Bobby directly. You can email him at bobby at bobbynash.com and put the hashtag in there as well in order to officially enter. And uh, the winner will be announced on July 14th. Yep. And for those of you that really want to win, if you do the Facebook group and email you, you get two chances to win. There you go. That's what you got to do. Yeah. That's right. And we're not right going to hunt you down. You can have two chances. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and by the way, just just in case you're wondering like, oh, you know, there's a lot of things to read out there. Maybe I don't want to read this. Actually, you do want to read this because Bobby is a very good writer. Um, I read, I have not read any of the Snow series, but I did uh, purchase the Lance Star uh, Sky Ranger. Am I getting that right? That's Lance correct. Star yes, Sky Ranger. Yes. Um, and I will tell you that Bobby's story was my favorite, and that okay. the writing was stellar in that story. So uh, definitely check that out. Also, fun fact: we have uh, we're re-releasing a second edition of Time Slingers yes. on July nineteenth. And guess who gave us a quote for the back cover? Of Time Slingers. Robert Zemeckis? Wonder who that could be. Yeah. Maybe Robert Zemeckis will be on there on the third edition. Oh, you mean Bobby. Bobby was on there on the second edition. So appreciate you doing that, Bobby. My pleasure. Um, You know, I I rather enjoy the Time Slinger stuff. So it's been, yeah, it was pretty cool. I appreciate you guys asking. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that was fun. So, yeah, there you go. Go do that. Enter the win. Well. And let me me say, too. um, Yes. Uh, just want to give a shout out to Stuart Gofey, who is the guy that's narrating the snow books. And oh, cool. he is narrating all of them, um, including the ones that aren't out yet. He'll narrate them when they come out. He is the same guy that narrated the Lance Star audiobooks as Very well. Cool. So uh, those are out there as well. Yeah, Lance Star is another one of those series that's been around a while. And I'm actually doing new stuff with that as well, too. So Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's got a very rocketeer-like feel to it. So if you like that kind of stuff, you should go check that out. You like I love that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm <laughs> totally down for that. Yeah, it's it's kind of like if, if Indiana Jones was the rocketeer. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right up my alley. Perfect. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we are here to talk about X-Men First Class. 
Yeah. Uh, first series in our ex- first episode in our X Men series. That's right. I know words. Um, and just before we dive into our questions here, I feel like all of us sort of rewatched this yeah. for the first time <laughs> in quite a while. Yes. Um, so just let me just take a pulse. Like after watching it again after such a long time, how did you guys feel about it, Bobby? What did you think? I, I enjoyed it. I remember enjoying it the first time around, and um, I remember this was the fourth in the X Men series. Yeah. Um, well, technically fifth because I think. Yeah, because there was a Wolverine before this. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, but I also remember I was, I was certainly not as happy with X three. Yeah, I don't think any of us. Were. <laughs> so this was kind of it was it was certainly better than that. I I, I really rather enjoyed this, um, and I remember enjoying it the first time around as well. And then um, so yeah, I just I thought it was really a fun movie. I. I thought it was interesting take to to give it that period feel to make to set it during a certain period in the in the past instead of you know because easily they could have gone in and just said okay the other X Men movies they didn't happen here we're starting new yeah. they actually went to some pains to keep all that stuff kind of you know in order so that they all counted. And there definitely were pains. <laughs> yes, right. Because some of the some of the timeline stuff doesn't, you know, match. It, but but you know, they're still fun, uh, and I enjoyed it. And uh, I was reminded the biggest thing that was surprised me. I had forgotten that Kevin Bacon was in the movie. Yeah. And so I'm like, ooh, I'm like one degree from all these people. Because <laughs> I had worked on the the following years ago, which was his TV show. Yeah, I played an I played an FBI agent on that. So I'm really? like, hey, mm. I'm one degree from like Jennifer Lawrence now. That's You're not bad. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's cool. What do you think, Jay? Uh, you know, I had this really weird experience because this has been my favorite X Men movie in the past. After I saw it, I really loved it. Um, this time around, I I think I had too high of expectations given the fact that I've been watching the MCU, right? Which is extraordinary. Not to say this movie is bad by any means, but there were a lot more moments in this film. The, the beginning is fantastic. The end is amazing. And there's some middle parts that you're like, oh, they didn't need that. You know, there's some, and then, of course, special effects, you know, what is it, 10, eight, eight years later, something like that? Yeah. Nine years later? Yeah. Uh, the special effects don't quite hold up as well. So I uh, I really enjoyed it again, but not as much as I did before. I have a feeling that if I watch Days of Future Past, that will become my new favorite as opposed to this really? one. Really? So we're gonna see. We're gonna see what happens. I have to to watch it again and see what well, happens. You will have to. I was yeah. I was surprised <laughs> that, and one of the things that, that 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 I noticed was there's there's a lot of captioning because they're speaking in like German for quite a bit of the movie in Russian, and I and watching it, I'm like. Man, were were the words always that pixelated? Huh. That, <laughs> yeah, that was the thing that jumped out at me. It's like, ooh, they don't, you know. Yeah, they didn't upgrade. Yeah, I felt I felt that way on some of the visuals where it was like, oh, it's so crisp, it looks bad. Almost if it was if it was more of a motion blur or something, it would have looked better. And I think some of the time, you know, if you go back in the MCU and you look at some of the even the original Iron Man. I mean, some of those special effects still look outstanding mm-hmm. because they didn't try to overdo it. 
And this film may have tried to do that a little bit. You, you look you look at a character like Banshee, and when he's flying around, you're like, ah, it's just a little awkward. So, you know, I still really enjoy it. I don't want that to sound like I'm being negative about it. It's just that this was my favorite one, so I was a little bit surprised. I see. I was. This always used to be my favorite one too. And watching it again only reminded me of why that was the case. Oh, okay. I was just like, good, oh good. my gosh, I love this movie so much. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so I'll just leave it at that and we'll dig into it. Okay. Um, so this was the debut of the younger version of these characters. It you know, was. Patrick Stewart gave way to James McAvoy. Ian McKellen gave way to Michael Fassbender. Hugh Jackman um, gave way to Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman oh, gave way to right. older Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there are others, obviously, you know, Rebecca Romaine, Jennifer Lawrence. But um, which cast do you guys prefer, Jay? So it totally depends on the specific characters. So I'll narrow in on yeah. uh, Magneto and Charles just for this. Just for this. And I would say that I love all four portrayals. So I, I, there's no criticisms I have of any of them. I go, they all work, right? However, I slightly prefer Fassbender as Magneto and Stewart as Charles Xavier. And I mean, look, nobody beats Patrick Stewart's performance in Logan. It's authentic. It's intense. Yeah. It goes from gentle to confused to violent to hopeful to tragic. It's the whole range of emotions that he's doing. He's trying to win an Oscar in that film. It's a comic book movie, and he's trying to win an Oscar. And should have. And should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fassbender, in this, especially in this film, he brings this intensity that I feel like that transforms Magneto because I think McClellan was – Basically, you know, remember the time frame. <laughs> he's in a comic book movie, so he's playing it as if he's in a comic book movie. Whereas you see Fastbender, and this dude is like, no, I went through these things, and this is how I would behave. Like, he's just so good. So I would yeah. pick and choose between those two. Those are my, my my two favorites. What do you think, Bobby? You know, I it, it's 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 hard to disagree with any of that. Um, I will say too, I. In looking at how the characters do, you know, obviously McKellen also plays it as a guy that's been using these powers for a long time. Mm. And he's comfortable with using these powers. And Fassbender does play it where some things are still tough for him because he is learning. You know, like the submarine scene is a really good, you know, that where he would have stayed with it, but he wasn't strong enough to stop it early in the movie. And so... He's still at that stage where he his his brain is not always. I'll just use the you know my power. Or he's still running after things and you know things like that. Whereas McKellen's version of of Magneto is at that point where he's like, I don't I don't run for shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I run when I have to and I don't have to. I'm just gonna float everywhere. Yeah <laughs> yeah, and, yeah yeah. And and but you know what I think that's that feels like Magneto though. It does, he yeah. Really, that's absolutely true. So Mc, McKellen makes me think that you know the Magneto that's always going on and on about how the the mutants are superior. I get that when I see Miguel the way he plays Magneto mm-hmm. is we I'm superior. This is how I do it. That's um, whereas younger younger Magneto is still running, you know still doing things phys- physically and things like that. Although watching, watching this movie again, I think he would be an awesome James Bond. Yeah. 
He'd be an awesome like anything. Yeah, I know. I, I still want him as Batman. Yeah, he'd be amazing as whatever he yeah. does. Yeah. I'm I'm with you guys. I think Patrick Stewart takes it on Xavier. Fastbender for me definitely takes it on Magneto. I would go so far as to say after watching this movie again, yeah. that Magneto in this movie specifically, yeah. not necessarily the whole series, but this movie specifically, yeah. might be in like my top 10 at least 10 comic book character portrayals of all time whoa excellent i mean how how do you argue with it it's the the scene the scene where he goes to uh argentina yeah ridiculous everybody talks about the opening scene of inglorious bastards as being like yes this crazy intense scene right yeah this that scene in argentina is every bit as much as inglorious it's so crazy i love it Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, mutant and proud. Is this a good rallying cry? <laughs> what do you think, Bobby? Well, I mean, they they make it work for them. Um, and certainly, you know, kind of fits the time frame, you know. Um, yeah. You know, because the whole thing of the whole, you know, mutants, in, especially in the comics, you know, over the years, being a mutant has been a stand in for so many different things hmm. you know it you know it's one way you know it's it's a stand-in for talks about racism it's a stand-in for talks about uh sexuality it's been a you know different you know different things just whatever you can use mutants because they're different to talk about things you know in that science fiction allegory way um and so it it feels like that with in terms of this movie it was like it was kind of like uh, you know, out and proud. It's kind of the mutant. It's kind of the, the mutant version of that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, it, it's it seemed to be kind of forced in some places, especially like at the end where she tells yeah. that to Beast again. And so I don't know. I mean, it's I don't know. I mean, as a rallying cry, it could work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and jump in next. Yeah, go for it. Jay, this was originally your question. Yeah, so and I have this like, super long answer. I'm going to let you <laughs> round it out. Yeah. But um, I would say in this film, no, not a good rallying cry. Mm. It might be some, I mean, depends on what you mean by rallying cry. Like something yeah. that pulls everybody together. Yeah. Sure, maybe it might technically do that. Is it a healthy expression in this movie? I would say no. Uh, I don't think there are any healthy characters in ah, this movie. Interesting. If you're talking about Patrick Stewart saying this yeah. in X-Men or X or X2, yeah. then yeah, I think I would get behind it cuz I I feel like I would understand his heart a little bit better. Yeah. But I kind of don't think he'd say this. I think he would say like X-Men and accepted. Yeah. Now let's go help everybody or yeah, something, you yeah, know, yeah. like but but yeah, mutant and proud even coming from Xavier in First Class who is probably the heroic character. Yeah. I'm flashing big air quotes up in the room. Yeah. Here, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, even he's not fully healthy. He's got an ego. Yep. He uh-huh. wants his, he wants his ideas to get furthered. He wants to be famous. Yep. And so I think it's actually, uh, dangerous. I'm actually really glad that you, you went first because it segues perfectly into, I, I, it, rather than have like 
a yes or no, I went through my emotions processing that because it, <laughs> it felt weird to me when I heard it because it's such a popular term in the modern day. Um, and Bobby, you just said it, you know, mutants in the Marvel universe have been synonymous with minority groups, mm-hmm. particularly those that have been marginalized. Yes. So when I heard it in this film, I had a different response to it than I think I've ever had to it in my life when I've heard the the term pride or proud being used. Um, I normally don't process the word, word at all because when it's associated with LGBTQ+, the picture I get is one where people are fighting for equality. Uh, that's my immediate response, almost as if people are saying, for the longest time I've had to repress and hide, but now I'm free from that and I'm f- I feel free to express who I really am. Um, that's kind of just my automatic response to... Uh, you know, we ju- we're just coming off Pride Month, so that's kind of my automatic response to that. And again, I'm I'm not coming at this. Just, just let me pause for a second. I'm not coming at this from uh, someone who's in the LGBTQ plus community. I'm coming at this from a white cis male. So uh, just take what I'm saying with a grain of salt in terms of how I'm processing it and how the brand of these terms presents itself to me. Because when I hear someone say white pride. I have this like visceral response because to me that's evil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I immediately equate it with fascism. Yeah. Well, I immediately what, go. Imagine. Well, well let, me, let me let me throw this out there then. What if instead of mutant and proud, she'd have said mutant pride? That has definitely a more militant. Then I would have yeah. been like Kitty. Where's Kitty? <laughs> 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 well, and that's kind of that's kind of like so here. So here's where I kind of went with it. To, to your point here, Bobby. Um, context means everything when you use a term like pride or proud in the modern day. Context mm-hmm. is everything. Um, if you use white pride, then I have a very different context to that than I do if you say LGBTQ plus pride, right? Right, right. Um, and so in this context, the reason why I reacted to it so weird is because it made me pause because I thought, is it pride? Is that what... Is that what we want them to use? Is that the word we want them using in this context? And I didn't like it because it didn't feel inclusive, right? So I described yeah. LGBTQ plus as feeling like it's inclusive, where white pride feels like it's exclusive. Mm-hmm. And that's how it felt in this context. It felt exclusive. It didn't feel inclusive. Yeah, well, and I grew up with the sort of backhanded idea that pride was actually a bad thing you Mm, know mm, mm, mm. not like a straight up bad thing but like my mom at one point i I remember this vividly at one point she stopped telling me that she was proud of me yeah because she she realized that's not about you that's about me so Uh. (laughs) she stopped saying i'm proud of you and she started saying i admire you greatly (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty funny i'm like that's a little over the top i tell my kids that i'm proud of them you know but yeah it does seem like it's gotten to a point where whatever you know whatever it may be whatever people group you might be a part of whatever you're coming from that you have pride in yeah it does feel like it's become more of a conflict laden word than it used yeah, to be yeah like, exactly it's like i have pride and it's like it's almost like it's always in some sort of a reaction yes to somebody trying to keep you down yes right. yes exactly and so it has this war cry to it and it's like well I don't think that was originally the point. I yeah. But we're also looking at this from the year 2019 perspective. 
Exactly. This yeah. movie takes place in the 1960s and was made in the, I don't know what year did this come out? Uh, 2011. Yeah. So, but in the 19, and I know I don't know that much about the 1960s. I wasn't born yet, <laughs> which is probably the youngest thing I'll say here. <laughs> um, I, I don't know where their where their sayings in the 60s were proud was used that they might have been using this with. I don't really know that. I mean, it. So in the context of the time frame, I don't know if that makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah, it might. It, it, the the sense I had was I felt sad. I felt really sad for two reasons. One, I understood the context for the mutants was basically saying I haven't felt proud of myself. So I had a sense of sadness about that. But at the same time, I had this sense of sadness of, but they don't need to feel different. I mean, I know they do, right? And I know that we see a lot of people who are marginalized in our world today who do feel different. Um, but... They're they're saying that because they need to feel pride because or proud because pride is a sense of self mm-hmm. and what I wish they felt was oneness with the larger population and the world and that's actually the opposite of pride yeah yeah well and well, in this case in this movie it's tragic either way I mean exactly the most standout point at which it, like Bobby you mentioned it the most standout point when it's mentioned is when Mystique says it to Beast at the end of the film yeah. and but she says it right before she's about to follow a zealot right, who right. just tried to murder an entire right. naval fleet yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. she just joined the brotherhood of evil mutants yep <laughs> yep exactly so even though they don't call them that in this particular movie we know that's what they are yeah um, yeah so and, and you know because she is kind of gone over to Magneto's way of thinking, everything. I mean, Magneto's way of thinking is very much a a revenge, get vengeance. You know, he even says that we'll avenge him. You know, um, so everything Magneto, but Magneto, Magneto doesn't want to live in harmony with humans. Magneto thinks. And this is also pulling stuff from the comics as well. But yeah. the character of Magneto over the decades, Magneto doesn't want to live in harmony with other humans. Magneto wants, he has, he's like, we're superior. Yep. We're, we should be in charge. The world would be a better place if mutants were in charge. Whereas Charles, his philosophy was we can coexist together. Right. You know, we don't have to be at odds. We, and that's that's really when you when you when you boil down Charles and Eric to their to their core, that's the philosophy. That's the difference between them. Yeah. And yeah, and even so, so they even though these movies show them being friends in the comics that later added, you know, did those backstories as well. They were never going to. St- stay not at odds because they're fundamentally they both believe completely opposite things of one another yeah my last line in my notes just really quick is i want mutants to be loved and part of the whole not one tribe in the midst of all the other tribes right and that's what makes Mm -hmm. it sad right it's like oh if you feel like you have to say that it sets you up as almost like in, in 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 opposition to something else yeah but we really want everyone to be together yeah. yeah. Right. And does does he want all 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 mutants to be leaders? You know, um, certainly the comics over the decades have shown that even the mutants, you know, the mutants are not all, you know, on the same playing field. 
you know, level field because you got the Morlocks who are still treated like dirt even by other mutants or, you know, so there's, there's a lot of different, you know, some of the, the mutants that put on brightly colored costumes and join the Avengers or sellouts because you're not fighting for your, you're saving the world. You're not fighting for mutants anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, so even within the mutant society, they still take along the same, you know, pettiness and differences and whatever that we as humans have, you know, they, they still have all that too. I mean, so, so I think yeah. if you, if you lived in that world and this is what I like to do a lot when I'm ready, if I lived in that world, I know the X-Men are the good guys, but if I lived in that world, seeing how they act, not knowing context, just seeing what, how, what they do, you would think that they're not really any better than Magneto. Yeah. From a standpoint of someone like Michael Ironside's character on, you know, on the, on the bridge of the, the, the naval ship, you know, all he sees is mutants are trying to kill us. Right. You know, there's no difference for him or any of the sailors there. Yeah. And who these people are, because all of them are trying to kill us. Yeah. The mutants definitely have their own baggage that comes with just being mutants, but they've got their baggage that comes from their own lives too. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about the differences in the upbringings between Charles and Eric. Very drastically (laughs) as different as can possibly be. Um, Bobby, why don't you start us on this one? How do you see the differences in their upbringings affecting them as characters? Oh, well, there's, there's, there's one point when they, when he takes the X-Men back to, Charles takes him back to his mansion <laughs> and Eric has the line about, Oh yes, I, I, I can see how this was a poor upbringing for you. <laughs> um, you know, so, I mean, there are different differences. I mean, Magneto grew up in a Warsaw ghetto, you know, he was, you know, he was Jewish and in Germany, they, you know, his parents were, his mother was murdered right in front of him. Uh, he was tested and, abused and mistreated and indoctrinated and all these things they were doing to, to mess with his mind and to get him on their side, to turn him into a weapon. And Charles really didn't have that. Charles just grew up with, from the context of this movie, it sounds like his parents were kind of, you know, they were just kind of there. Like they weren't, they weren't really loving parents. It didn't seem like. Because he makes that comment about my mother never steps foot in this kitchen. Yeah. She would certainly never offer to make me a sandwich. Right. You know. Um, So they were each alone, but alone in different ways. So so they have, I think the, the being alone, you know, is the thing that draws them together. That they see that part of each other. But mm. outside of that, it's it's very different. Charles certainly had more opportunities you know he obviously goes to a good college he becomes uh you know he we see him graduate college this little girl shows up and breaks into his house he adopts her as a sister and just lets her live there nobody says boo (laughs) you know so um and so it seems like his life is you know if maura mctaggart hadn't showed up and says we have a problem how different would charles's life have been what if he had gone on hitting, just hitting on chicks at the bar and, you know, <laughs> yeah. using his mutant talk to get laid? I mean, I, you know, I don't know. 
Um, but certainly her, her showing up and him seeing what he saw that she witnessed, you know, his life changes at that moment. And had, so had that not happened, which is also a drastic change from the comics because Mora is not a CIA agent in the comics. Um, you know, what would have changed, whereas Eric's just from child, little as a young child, set him on the path that he's still on at the end of this movie. Yeah. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I mean, that's all right on. I think that there's this interesting thing that happens with tribes, and we see it through Eric's eyes. And I think First Class handles it really well. I love the opening of this film because we see how Eric's tribe, Jews during the Holocaust, were treated horrifically. We see it through his Eric's eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And not just all of his tribe, but him him personally, right, with the death of his mother right in front of him. Um, and so you understand his desire to eradicate who he believes to be the other tribe, the enemy tribe of Nazis. Um, it's palpable. It makes sense. Uh, we know that he will go on to adopt mutants as his tribe and now uh we'll he'll start to see anti-mutant people the way he has seen the nazis mm-hmm. and so there's this correlation between those two relationships uh with these with these tribes and i think throughout x-men lore that's handled really well it's why magneto is one of my favorite villains of all time because i feel like that he's given such fantastic reasoning for thinking the way that he thinks um and I, I found it pretty interesting that they took – I had never – I don't think I've ever in, in, in the comics or in the TV show, which I was a huge fan of as a kid, I don't think I'd ever seen Charles Xavier's backstory, like growing up as yeah. a rich kid and then he's cocky and he's like yeah. – I'd never really seen that before. Um, but they really justified – because when you first see James McAvoy as as uh, Charles Xavier, your immediate thought is like, this is not Patrick Stewart, right? Like, this is not the Yoda character. This is some bro who's trying to, like you said, Bobby, pick up on chicks. Like, what's going on? Um, it, but I thought that they did a really good job of drawing us on a character arc that by the end of the film will understand how the realities of the world have, have imposed themselves upon Charles Xavier so that when he's he's injured at the end you can tell that the world is not just beers and chicks anymore yeah now it's something more than that and he's got something more to fight for and he his wisdom needs to be brought to bear and i think that that's really 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 cool so i like i liked it even though my first response to charles xavier was like what is this this is the wrong guy but they did such a good job i I thought it was great the movie also does a good job with because by the end of it, when Magneto is like, you know, you know, I'm against the humans, we start thinking of him as a bad guy for doing what we cheered him doing at the beginning of the movie, which was killing Nazis. Mm-hmm. So the, we see him doing the same thing. He's not really changed how he does things. That's a good he's point. Killing, he's killing the enemy. But... Because it's because they used a universally hated you know group, which which is the Nazis. When we see him doing it, we're like, all right, you know he's you know he's he's taking out the bad guys. Yeah. And then later, even though we he's still doing the exact same thing, and his character hasn't changed what he's doing or why he's doing it, but now he's going after people we think of as the good guys. 
or people that we think of as not evil. That's a really good point. I and like so, so we as the audience, our it, a lot of that's our thinking is, oh no, now he's doing, but he hasn't really changed. It's just the enemy changed for yeah. him. That's right. So yeah, yeah. And which is another reason why, no matter good or bad or who he's going after, if you live in that universe, he's still a bad guy because he's just going around killing people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, I, yeah, I was saying the next question I'm excited about because Jay and I were both working on questions for this podcast independently of yeah, each other. We didn't, we didn't compare notes. And, mm. um, he sent me what he was working on and he had this exact same question. <laughs> um, so at the point in the movie when Charles reads Emma Frost's mind and he sort of gets a glimpse of Shaw's plan through reading her mind, um, Shaw says, we are the children of the atom. Radiation gave birth to mutants. What will kill the humans will only make us stronger. And that, you know, he's talking about his plan to essentially detonate a whole bunch of nuclear weapons and kill the humans. Mm-hmm. My question is, does this make any sense? <laughs> and does this plan reveal him to be a smart tactician or just like a misguided zealot? I will say this. I, I understand why they use this because this is right out of the Stanley it's it's almost word for word a Stanley quote from like an early X-Men. So is there a comic precedence for the fact that mutation came from radiation? Almost Cuz I don't remember that ever being true. Almost on, I'm I'm sure there are examples I'm not going I'm going to forget but almost Every character in the early, early days of Marvel that Stan was writing, yeah, radiation of some kind, yeah, yeah, is responsible. And there was bits where the proliferation of radiation and nuclear or whatever, and all that stuff was causing changes in people that was causing them to give birth to people with powers. And there is, I, and I, I can't tell you issue numbers of this. I, I just remember reading it where all that stuff with the atomic age and Stan, you know, Stan seemed to fear, you know, radiation. Cause if you think about it, yeah, the fantastic four cosmic radiation, Hulk gamma radiation, Spider-Man bitten by a radioactive spider, you know? And so radiation played such a huge factor and all those things. And Children of the Atom was something that they used from the earliest days. It may be even in X-Men number one. Uh, actually, I think it's on the cover of X-Men number one. That they're Children of the Atom. And the, that's how it explains that that's where mutants came from. Was yeah. the Atomic Age caused a fundamental shift in people. Now, I, I don't think that's been kept up. Because I think... you know because when X-Men 1 started, these were the first mutants, and they've since gone in and had mutants in the past and all that stuff. So, um, But I, that's where it came from. Does it make sense for this story? You know, that, that can be debatable. But, 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 that is, but that's where that came from. I feel like that... I mean, we'll get back to the question in a second here, but I feel like there being an origin point for mutation yeah. takes away the whole intrigue of the whole thing because mm. 
it's it's now it's something that happened to mm-hmm. people. Like well, nobody yeah, is segregating the Fantastic Four because they were exposed to radiation. Sure, sure. Right. Well, right, right, the, right. The, the thing you have to think of too, back when they wrote these things, they had no clue these things were going to last longer than a year. <laughs> yeah, because comics didn't. Comics were not things that lasted a long time, you know. And so a lot of this, a lot. That's why a lot of the early stuff, little bits and pieces like that, have been left by the wayside over the years. Where, you know, even though that that was put out to that caused the change, what made mutants different with the Fantastic Four? There's a clear moment we saw. There was an accident. Something happened to normal people. Yeah, and. They got these powers, same as Spider-Man, whatever. X-Men or mutants, mutants are born with it. You don't know it's there, and it's a hidden thing. You're born with this power, but in most cases, the powers didn't uh, didn't kick in, didn't manifest until you hit puberty. Right. And so that became the focus, especially once once you started getting into the the Chris Claremont years, especially, or I think Roy Thomas. And Neil Adams kind of touched on it too, but it was one of those things where that's where they started talking about we need to register these people, or there could be, you know, it became almost like the a, a symbolism for communism. There could be communists in our mists. Mm. Well, there could be mutants in our mists. We don't know because you, there's no way to detect them until they their power manifests. You know, one day this kid's normal and stubs his toe and catches on fire. You know, that's the first time his power kicks in. So there was no way of knowing, and it became like a... It's put very succinctly in the movie. He When that first girl that Charles is hitting on, who has the different colored eyes, he calls her a mutant because of the different colored eyes, and she goes, that's great. You, you come up here and you compliment me, and then you tell me I'm deformed. Right. So it became one of those things where the the word in the comics, especially the word mutant, became a four-letter word, basically. You know, mutant was a dirty word. And that also allowed it to be used for other mi- minorities and uh, other cultures and whatnot because people, they put that slang on it in the comics. They were muties, yeah. which, was a, which was an offensive word in the comics. And so having it, yeah, I think the, they've shied away from that atomic causing testing, causing all of it. But in the early, early days of the comics, that was, that was kind of their explanation for why mutants started popping up all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, as to whether or not the plan makes sense, Jay and I both clearly feel <laughs> strongly about this in some way, but we haven't talked about it yet. We haven't, so no, no. Who's, so who's going first? You go first. I'll go, y'all. Um, I don't, I feel like within the narrative of the movie, it doesn't make sense. Okay. It could be true. Yeah. Maybe that might happen. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything in this movie to explain the fact that nuclear radiation would make mutants stronger right but i think it makes sense in the movie because i don't think shaw gives a damn about that (laughs) it'll make shaw stronger exactly at the core (laughs) i don't think he cares about the plight of mutants Mm. he only cares about himself yeah and a buttload of nuclear energy would sure as heck make him stronger right 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 so yeah i feel similarly to i think 
first of all, Kevin Bacon makes an extraordinary villain. Like, <laughs> yeah, like he has a kick-ass performance in this film, no question. Um, but when I heard this line, my first thought was. Well, that's stupid. Like <laughs> now, again, again, it might be great, but we we aren't given a rationale as to why it might be great, right? And we aren't really given a rationale as to why Kevin Bacon himself or his character Shaw might actually think it's great, even at the expense of other mutants. We're not really given any of that. We're left to kind of just kind of work itself out. But what it felt to me most like was that Shaw's evil plan isn't all that nuanced which makes the entire thing a little bit less interesting to me. Yeah. Because you have, look at Killmonger, Thanos, and Zemo. I know Zemo is one of your favorites. Deep-seated hurt is driving their villainy. Yeah. But in their own minds, they're still heroes, right? Mm -hmm. You look at Hela, Ego, and Ronin, and there's not so much deep-seated hurt as there is just selfish ambition, right? Like, I'm going to be the biggest bad. Um, I think... Shaw feels like the latter, not the former. Can I just point out yeah. that, that Ronan's five minutes of screen times in Captain in Captain Marvel? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start this sentence over because I sound <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> Can I just point out that Ronan's five minutes of screen time in Captain Marvel is vastly superior to his entire <laughs> film of, from Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. So, so, so my point being that I love Kevin Bacon as Shaw, but I think that he lacks a little bit of depth because as they reveal things about him, he's fascinating. Why is he so young? Because he keeps taking on energy, right? And he can use that energy whenever he wants to. There's, I don't think there's any indication in the film about how old he actually is, but he could go back a long time, technically, right? Yeah. So well, there's yeah, well, fascinating we do know, things. Yeah, because we do know he doesn't seem to age from the 40s to the 60s. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So and he already looked like he was in his 40s in the 40s. <laughs> exactly right. So the, this is this is a setup for a very interesting character. I'd love to see them bring him back actually with uh when Disney like brings X-Men into the MCU. So I think what happens to me is that he sort of ends up being this evil mustache twirling villain <laughs> and I think they could have done more with a slightly uh like meteor role there, but they just they just kind of backed off of that to be like let's give him this saying and that'll kind of just make it cool and be a reference back to the books. And I just don't think it works as quite as well. And now the, the Sebastian Shaw 2 in the movie is quite different from the Sebastian Shaw in the comics. Right, yeah. Um, actually, he's kind of very Magneto-ish in, in mm. personality. Like where he comes and he, he kills all the CIA guys and he's like, join me, you know. Yeah, Come, yeah, you should you should be with me. That's that's straight out of Magneto's, you know, playbook in the comics. You know, showing up, rescuing them, and go. You know, you know, I'm here to help you. You know. Yeah. And uh, so I think one of the, the best things when you cast Kevin Bacon, you get someone who can be villainous, but can turn right around and be charming. Yeah. And I think that that plays a lot there because you kind of see his side about it when he comes and says, they're using you come with me and the uh, angel goes with him. You kind of see how she could kind of be like, yeah, he's got cooler toys than we do, you know, <laughs> or, you know, I think well, that you the... just made the argument too, Bobby, that Kevin Bacon makes the role. Cause you Absolutely. put anybody else in this role and there's like, 
Okay, this is just just like anything else. Add a little bacon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly but right. But there and but there's 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 some <laughs> like nuance that. to him that I that little things little things that just that I like. Like I like he's not he knows he can with these things with all the energy and stuff. So he's not afraid of anything. But right. what I like is like he's not even afraid of like Magneto. Like when Magneto shows up on the boat and he's there to, she goes, he's here to kill you. And, you know, the first thing he does, you know, Shaw does is smiles and goes, Eric, you know, like, <laughs> like, he, like they're old best friends. And, and it's, it's just a nice little thing for the character that he's, yes, he's pure evil, but you kind of like the guy, even though he's <laughs> pure evil. Here's the real story geeks answer to the question yeah, yeah, about the it. plan. Let's hear it. Char- and this is, you know, we, we read way too much into this. Of course, we get yeah. too crazy. This is what we do. <laughs> this we, we're, we're given this plan yeah. by Charles reading Emma's mind. Right. So that does not mean that Shaw actually stood there and said those exact words. Oh, that's, that's true. a good point. That's it's a, a point. picture that's in her head yeah. that he's seen. That's right. Who knows how tweaked it is. That's true. So that's true. That's me reading way too much you into know, it. But you know what? That's brilliant because throughout this movie, Shaw has planned ahead. Yeah. You know, Sean, you know, and you know, Emma is a very strong telepath because she's able to block Charles. So yeah. Who's to say? Yeah. You you know, I never, it was never anything I considered, but that could be brilliant. That's the what. Let's screw with them because, yeah. They know, yeah, exactly. because at that point they know Charles and Eric are coming for them. That's yeah. why Shaw doesn't go with Emma to meet the Russians. Yeah. And maybe they, it's really, maybe Shaw never thought that everybody was going to get stronger. That's just Emma's rationale for why he's following doing what him. He's doing. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. like, that's yeah. why I follow him. Justification. I, yeah. Yeah. That's, no, that's, that's good. I like that. I, I want to change my answer to that because that's that really makes <laughs> sweet. That, that, <laughs> really makes, yeah, that makes yeah. more sense. Than, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, after Darwin is killed by Shaw, um, Raven points out how, you know, Darwin is dead and we can't even bury him. And Eric's response to her is, but we can avenge him. So just one year after this film's release, we would see another Marvel team motivated by vengeance in much the same way. So Jay, we'll start with you on this. What are the differences between this group of X-Men and the Avengers. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I so first and foremost, I I really prefer the X Men dynamic. I've always been more of an X Men fan. Um, the Avengers attempted to produce the Xavier Magneto rivalry uh, with Cap and Iron Man in Civil War, but it's not anywhere near the same. And here's why it's not the same: the differences that produce conflict in the X Men are so deep seated. Xavier is basically asking a Holocaust survivor to be forgiving, right? Like, that, think about that for a second. He, Xavier is telling Magneto at every turn, you need to learn forgiveness. You need to learn uh, coming together in community. And Magneto's looking back at Charles Xavier and going, you're an idiot and you're going to end up in a concentration camp. I mean, so these these two perspectives are embedded incredibly deep in the psyches of these characters. Um, this this movie, like we talked about, does a great job of showing us their backgrounds. Um, two characters that are within the same tribe, both mutants, 
who do not see the world in the same way, and therefore it's causing a rift inside this tribe. Whereas the Avengers are sort of different people from different tribes who see the universe differently. And the intent isn't to explore their psyches, not the way it's done in the X-Men, so much as it is to see how these people could kind of work together mm -hmm. with all of their divergent uh, behaviors. But all of their thinking is kind of a little bit more the same. Like, let's all be heroes. Let's just try to figure out how you can be a hero and I can be a hero and we can help each other out in facing yeah. off against the other ones. So I think that the dynamic of the X-Men is far deeper and presents far more interesting challenges um, you know, I love it when we see Charles and Magneto have to team up, but then at the, almost at the end of every single story that that ever happens, it's like, by the way, we're not on the same team. And when this, when this is over, you know, yeah. uh, I just think that that, that sets up a dynamic that is so fascinating for multiple stories to take place. And I think it's, so I'm not, that's not me, you know, I, some of our fans have been nervous that i'm dumping on the mcu too much i'm not i'm just saying this is a preference well, we i know that if you don't absolutely love something you absolutely <laughs> hate it there's, yeah, exactly. there's no middle ground in there's your heart never any middle ground <laughs> no i'm very moderate uh, this is I, I love both of these things but i think the x-men has has this depth that is unavoidable it's unavoidable how much there is to explore here and uh, I really love that. Well, clearly it's not totally unavoidable because X-Men Apocalypse. But anyway, <laughs> Bobby, what, well, uh, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's – yeah. Um, the Avengers, as much as I love the Avengers, yeah, the, a lot of the stuff that comes – a lot of the, the Camp Tony stuff is, is more of it, – it's not as deep-seated. It's because one does – something stupid and the other one like it's pissed about right. it <laughs> right 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 <laughs> I mean, you know and even even their, their their trysts in the comics have been that way tony, tony is very much a i've got to take care of this myself and you know yeah it's going to cause problems but i don't care I'll, I'll jump off that bridge later whereas cap goes you know we could work together and solve this problem and um you know and and you know and that's generally where a lot of their problems come from I am personally not a big fan of the Civil War comic because the the story to me only worked because the characters were acting out of character mm. in the comic. Works a little better in the movie. They seem to have gotten around some of the the issues, but the the Civil War comic just never worked for me because it required not just Cap and Tony, but several other characters in the story to abandon everything that they've believed in since they were created and to, to act so out of character that to fit the story. And that really, you know, especially the writer in me, you know, where, where character comes first, you know, if your character's not, if your character, the only way to make the story work is the character acting out of character, then that's the wrong character for the story. Yeah. You know, um, you know, Spider-Man works in multiple stories. That doesn't mean every plot you come up with is a Spider-Man plot. It's that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Whereas the X-Men stuff, the X-Men stuff is closer. There's there's almost a family dynamic there. I mean, they're not they're not blood relatives, but 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 Charles and Eric are like family. I mean, this this is almost like a family squabble. And yeah, that's true. And you're right, even in these movies, because they do have the same 
they're they're facing the same problems. That's why in all the sequels after First Class, uh, Charles and Magneto come together. They work together. You get to the end of the movie, you realize they have different solutions to the problem, and then they go their separate ways, and then they come back together, and then you know, because they're both they're both convinced their way is right. Neither of them really has any interest in budging on that. You know, I can't imagine Charles ever going, you know what, Eric, you're right, kill them, kill them. <laughs> you know, and I, and I can't ever imagine Magneto going, you're right, Charles, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive the guy that that invented the, the Sentinels, you know. Right. I just can't see it happening. And those guys are, those guys are, you know, who they are, and they're not going to change. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if that answered the question or not. <laughs> Sure, it's it. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's great. I'm fascinated by the differences between the two because, I mean, they're very different inceptions, right? Like the the Avengers, at least in the MCU, we'll use that as our main talking point here. It, they came together because they were intentionally brought together by Nick Fury, for the most part. And whereas the mutants have this lifelong social struggle that has driven their story to begin with so you you get you get <laughs> you do get to see both teams struggling with what their impact on the world should be mm-hmm. um but i agree i think the mutant social struggle is just always interesting yes always. there's just really no way to get around it and it's much more relatable they can always adapt it to whatever we're facing than our yeah. modern day environment you yeah know? yeah well and, and you don't just join the x-men because you need a team to join yeah. You join the X-Men because there's safety in numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, exactly. You know, Captain America can, go out, can, can leave the Avengers and go off on his own. He's fine. Yeah. You know, Nightcrawler, you know, he's he can't just go and blend in like, you know, Steve Rogers can. Yeah, that's a and, good point. Yeah, so there is some safety in, you know, joining either the X-Men or, or going to the school and have, there's that protection there. Cause not everybody that ends up in the X mansion becomes an X man. Right. You know, there are people that are just there because they, they have nowhere else to go. And well, let's go down that path a bit and yeah. talk about the people that want to hide. So let's talk about Raven and um, Raven has affection for both Hank and Eric. So my question is why is she drawn to each of them? Are either of those impulses coming from a healthy place, do you think? And why in the end does she choose to go with Eric at the end of the film, even after watching him do something that led to Charles' injury? Hmm. So, Jay, why don't you start on that one? Actually, I want to hear you start on this one. You want to hear I'll me go, start yeah, on I'll that Yeah, I'll go second. I, I, have a, I have a theory, but I didn't. I didn't come up with this question, and I have a feeling that you have something insightful to say. Well, that doesn't allow me to do my usual trick of listening to what you guys say <laughs> and responding to it in a way that makes it sound like I'm saying that I thought of something hours ago. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I do have thoughts on this, obviously. I don't think either impulse is healthy. Hmm. Um, I, I don't think wanting to be accepted is an unhealthy motivation at its core. Yeah. But she is driven to them because of how they make her feel. Yeah. Not because of anything about them specifically. Ah, good point. You know, 
Like, she doesn't really know Hank, and she takes the shine to him immediately. Yeah. Like, she's, what does she call him, magnificent or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. Right out, of the, right out of the gate. And she doesn't know anything about him. She doesn't appreciate him for his intellect or his personality. She, appreci- she appreciates him because he's dealing with looking like a freak. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Eric is even less healthy. Like, she basically <laughs> goes after Eric because he's straight up manipulates her. Like, yeah. He just tells her what she wants to hear. And yeah. she's so desperate to hear it that it totally works. Yeah. So as for why she goes with Eric in the end, I haven't really come to a good conclusion on uh-huh. this one because I feel like if I was in her shoes, yeah. I feel like I would witness all of this and I would see the fallout of Eric's behavior. Mm. And I would think, maybe I can't trust that guy. Ah, Interesting. Maybe I should trust the guy who put himself into harm's way and just took a bullet for me. Yeah. You know? I mean, not directly, but took a right. bullet for the entire U.S. Right. Navy. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I don't understand why she makes that choice in the end. Timeline-wise, I get it, because yeah. if this leads up to the other X-Men films, Mystique is with Magneto. If you watch the rest of the films that come after this, that's not how it turns out, so it doesn't make sense anyway. But yeah. Well, I, I think, too, part of that was they didn't know there were going to be more after this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, that choice bothers me. Okay. I would rather have seen her choose to stay with Charles but still have a soft spot for Eric Yeah. going on in future films. I'm glad that I had you go first because I'm going to give you a possible reason why she makes that choice. Okay. And I'm going to use way too deep into my own personal psyche here. So, so just <laughs> oh, grab some coffee. Get Bobby. your seatbelts on, <laughs> folks. This is why Jay's crazy. Um, so uh, growing, growing up, I had uh, two very different experiences with my parents. And I won't say which one's which to protect the innocent <laughs> and, and the guilty. Um, but uh, – we had these. We had a couple of severe things happen when I was growing up in my in my early teens. One was that my mom had uh, stage three breast cancer, super aggressive, um, and nearly took her life at that time. Um, the other thing was, right on the tail end of that, uh, my dad was um, well. I should say the family. My family was managing properties for um, for my grandparents who had rented out these properties. And one of the renters of those properties um, started sending us death threats in the mail. Hey. And uh, was signing them with like Mexican mafia, super graffiti stuff, super objectionable, crazy stuff, right? And one day I, I distinctly remember finding so two, two, extreme, two extreme things happening, right, in my life. Getting death threats and having your mom have this, have this really... Um, life-threatening condition and one of my parents i remember specifically finding on the floor of the bathroom just sort of having a little bit of a breakdown right uh by the way totally acceptable should be doing that right like that's not at all a problem the other parent went through everything by almost like suppressing emotion pushing emotion down putting it aside and from my perspective as a as a impressionable teenager early teen which one was i going to deal with which one was i going to adopt am i going to let my feelings overwhelm me to the point where i maybe can't deal with life 
or am I going to plug ahead and push those feelings aside because things need to get done, right? Mm. And I almost see the same thing with Raven here. Maybe not in maybe not in the same way. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe not in the same way. But I went into that situation and I didn't by the way, I didn't figure this out until like 20 years later in the in an in an office with a counselor. <laughs> but uh, what was pointed out to me was, well, which one do you think you adopted, right? So is, if, if I was going to see the counselor because I was trying to figure out uh, how I felt and be more in touch with my feelings because I'm not that kind of person. And so I'm sitting there and he's going, why do you think, why do you, think you chose that? Because your experience was emotions prevent you from living life and stuffing emotion allows you to go through life and be able to figure out whatever you need to figure out. I think for Raven in this circumstance, it's a very similar thing. I think she's looking at Charles and going, you try to be the good guy and look what happens to you. You, tr you take over, you fight for what you believe in, and maybe you've got a shot in this world. And I think that she's seeing those two perspectives and going, man, I respect the hell out of both sides. But if you're asking me to pick the winning side... I guess I'm going to have to pick that one. And that's kind of the way that I, I view it, given that I have had uh, not a similar lens because the, the, the both my neither of my parents were villains. They were just responding to a situation in a different way. Yeah. But this is like that situation in the extreme. Okay. You're not I buying it. That. No, I, no, totally. <laughs> no, I'm, You're like, okay. I'm, I'm thinking about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. I'm, no, I buy it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't buy your personal experience. <laughs> no, 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 no. I your don't life, mean that. Your <laughs> life is stupid, and I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been more for, so from the movie standpoint, if there was rationale for that. <laughs> you know, well, okay, so I'll say one more thing, and then, Bobby, I want to know what you think about this, too. But from the movie standpoint, the one thing that could have given me a little bit more acceptance of this change would be if they delved in a little bit more to... Um, Charles showing that he wouldn't actually accept Raven in her true form. You get that a little bit because she's like, Charles, would you date me? And he's like, yes. oh, I don't think of you that way. You know, right. and he it's sidesteps It's a super it. awkward scene. Yeah. yeah. So if, you, if they would have given us a little bit more weight to how unhealthy she really was, and even in the midst of seeing him get shot in the back, she would still go with Eric because he wants to do her. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, by the way, by the way, just to, just to, this is a total offshoot. Right after I watched this film, uh -huh. like literally, uh, like within a twenty-four hour period, <laughs> when he when he sees the girl in the bar and he says like you have two different color eyes, that's a, that's a mutation or whatever. Literally, I wake up the next day, go to one of the first meetings of my day, and I'm sitting across the table from someone I haven't met before, and she has two different colored eyes, and all I wanted to do was be like, mutant! <laughs> and I was like, that's a really bad way to meet people. Don't do that. But that was <laughs> that occurred to me. You can at least tell her it's a groovy mutation. It's a groovy mutation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. All sorry. right, Bobby. Tell us about Raven. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I also think, I think, you know, Raven also has a, a an affection for Charles as well, and I think if you look at Hank and Eric, I think she, in addition, I, I do agree that with Hank, he's a freak like her. You know, he's not he he doesn't blend in as easily if he you know lets the giant feet clawed feet and whatnot out. Um, and 
so the yeah, it's someone who physically is not perfect, you know, and and I think she appreciates that because she's not, and she wants to run around blue all the time, and whereas, you know, and, and Eric keeps telling her that, that she needs to be blue all the time. He's really giving that. It's like if you're gonna, you know, you're hiding. You shouldn't be hiding. You should, you know, and like as you mentioned earlier, he's playing her. He wants her to, 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 to choose a side because right now she's hiding. Right. But I also think that between Hank and Eric, they both have qualities that she admires in Charles. Hmm. Hank is very smart. You know, Hank, Hank is a, you know, he's, he's got a brilliant mind, which Charles has a brilliant mind. Hank kind of, you know, dotes on her a little bit which is what young Charles kind of did to her with her. Right. So I, so I see that whereas Eric is forceful and tells her what, you know, what to do, which Charles does that as well. Throughout the movie, Charles is barking orders at her right and left. And the reason that I think that she goes with Eric at the end is because, I mean, she wants to, she, I think she believes in what Eric, in Eric's way of doing things, I think had Charles not said go, she wouldn't have. But when Charles gives his permission and says, you know, you want to go with him, you should go. That is the first time in this entire movie where Charles has not tried to hold her back and protect her from doing something. Yeah. Throughout the entire movie, she's like, I'm going to go help him. You stay here, you know, or don't do that or wait here or don't go anywhere. You know, so this is the first time he trusts her to do, you know, he lets her do something that she wants to do without him going, nope, I got to protect you. And so this is really the first time that Charles has shown that trust in her. Now, I think if they knew more, I don't, because if memory serves, they didn't. This was like for a while when it came out was talked about as being the last X-Men movie. Mm. And they did, it was, I remember uh, it was one of those things that went into it. Everybody was saying, Oh, this is, this is not going to perform well. And so I think they tried to wrap everything up because if you think about it, the next movie, Raven comes back to Charles, Charles is walking again. You know, I think they tried to make everything fit with the other movies yeah. Because they thought this was our last chance to do all that. <laughs> yeah. So I think if they'd have known, she probably wouldn't have gone with with Eric. Um. So so I don't know there, but but I think that that, that she has those affection. I mean, and certainly you know, Eric's got that bad boy stigma to him. You know, so I think there's so so there's an attraction that way. I mean, obviously she showed up in his bed. I mean, she you know there obviously is an attraction that way. And, uh, so yeah, so I think, I think it's just that the, that Hank and Eric just have some of the best qualities of Charles. And I think, you know, deep down, she really just loves Charles. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting that they didn't know that they were going to have more movies. Cause it seems like in a lot of ways that tension made this a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Well, if and maybe... you often see it go the other way. Yeah. You see people assume they're going to get more movies and then they don't. And mm-hmm. then the one they make turns out to fall short a bit right because i because i i remember because the wolverine movie didn't do that great and the 
the third X didn't do that great. And I, I remember there was talk of this was this was our last chance. If this one doesn't do great, I think they're <laughs> yeah. done. And I think this was a surprise that it did as well as it did. And uh, which obviously led to more to more movies. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna hit us with one last question. And it's similar to the question about Raven. Um, so uh, I guess it's sort of a two-part question. Um, first off, does Eric essentially become Shaw at the end of the film, or does he become something else? And then why the heck is Shaw's team so quick to turn and follow Eric right after he just drove a quarter through the man's head <laughs> slowly and brutally? They're just like, oh. Well, you're our boss now. Why so quick? Jay, what do you think? Okay. I don't think he becomes Shaw by the end of the film, but he's awfully close. Um, I do believe that, uh, again, when we talked about the the villains earlier, we talked about Killmonger, and we talked about Ego, and the difference between the two, some coming from extreme hurt, some coming from selfish ambition – I believe that Shaw is, again, not coming from deep-seated hurt, uh, yet Eric is, and we see that. So that's the main difference. Now, Shaw could be coming from deep-seated hurt. He could be, but he doesn't seem like he is. They're not giving us evidence that he yeah. is, right? So I, I think that it's a different form because I think Shaw essentially is, is aiming to be God, whereas Eric is... Uh, aiming to be the leader of a tribe that he must protect. Mm-hmm. And so the the the, the uh, idea that Eric would play God, I don't think actually is synonymous with his character. I don't think he wants to play God. I think he wants to build uh, a community around his tribe that can withstand and survive and even thrive. That's very different from Shaw, who basically is like, Set off some nuclear bombs so I can become the most powerful guy <laughs> in the universe, right? Um, so I think uh, I think it's different. I don't think that they're I don't think that they're the same thing. Um, and but but why is Shaw's team so quick to turn and follow Eric? I think that a, that there are quite a few people, uh, at least in the movies. I don't know if this is as true in real life. That will essentially seek to follow the strongest person. Mm -hmm. And if it's not the emperor, then it's Vader. And if it's not Vader, then it's Kylo, right? Like, like the idea is, well, I better be on the winning team. You know, maybe this is Yankees fans. (laughs) I don't don't know, but, uh, but, or Lakers fans in our neck of the woods. Um, There's this sense that there's protection in numbers, uh, there's protection with power, um, and that they want to associate themselves with that. That's the only thing I can think of. I think that they that what they saw in Shaw was power, and what they see in Eric is power, and probably even a little bit more intelligence. I would I don't think that Shaw is not intelligent, but I think Eric's super IQ, right? Um, and with that, I think that they respect that, and that they're going to follow that. Mm. Okay, Bobby, what do you think? Well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the Shaw that's portrayed in the movie is different from the Shaw in the comics. And the, in the movie, he is more like the Magneto of the comics. So I think Eric kind of does go in that way. Also, if you look at the plot to the first X-Men movie, what Shaw does in this movie is very similar to what Magneto does 
in the first X-Men movie. On top of the Statue of Liberty with the, the bomb that's going to, instead of killing all these humans, he's going to mutate all these humans. <laughs> True. Very similar. Yeah. Um, so I think Eric picked up tricks from Shaw. He probably doesn't even realize consciously he's doing it because he despised Shaw. But he, these things work, so he does them. Um, that's a really good point. I think that's true. Yeah, and so, you know, you yeah, because, I mean, he just knows these things work and he does them, blah, blah, I think the reason his team follows him, the team follows him at the end, is he is still one of these guys that's like, you know, come on, you know, he's still, I'm going to protect mutants, you know. It's us against them, you know. Whereas as Charles is like, oh, let's all live together in harmony. And they're like, they're already killing, the uh, Shaw's team was already killing people. And, you know, they know there's no living in harmony. And so I think they just follow Eric because he seems like he's his is a more, um, I don't know the right word I'm looking for here, but certainly a more aggressive uh, form of, uh, protecting mutant kind as opposed to where Charles seems to be one of, we should all live together and find a way to all, you know, be equals. And Eric's like, screw that. You know, you know, we're in charge. Um, you know, we have power. Let's use the power to keep ourselves safe. Hmm. And, you know, there's that old saying about power corrupting and I'm sure that, you know, that can play a hand in it as well. Yeah. Plus, you got to imagine, it's like the events after this movie, Magneto just took control of uh, several dozen nuclear warheads at one time and flung them through the air. All of these, the governments of the, of the Earth, you know, if you lived in that movie world, are terrified of this guy. Because this guy has a bad day, he can kill us all. And so, there's there's really no coming back from that for Magneto. <laughs> yeah. And and we see it in the subsequent sequels where you know he has to change his name and go into hiding, and you know which surprised me kind of that he did that because you know he was on his way to pulling a Shaw maneuver and going, you know, I've got to kill a bunch of humans. And mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think he has more of a aggressive. They feel safer. He's they know that he's going to do whatever he has to do to keep mutants safe. Hmm. Yep, it's true. I I just think they're a bunch of mindless lackeys. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, there's that too. I mean, except Emma, and I think there is some there is some good story reason for why Emma would turn and follow him. I think that scene where he nearly killed her by cracking her neck. Mm-hmm. I, I keep watching that series, uh, that scene, and I think to myself, did the writers of the film know that when she changes, she's actually changing into Diamond, right? It's Diamond. Right. Yeah. She's Diamond, yeah. Right. So it doesn't seem to me like he should be able to break her neck with a bed pipe, you know, a pipe from a bed Dude, frame. Dude, I'm so glad you said that because <laughs> I turned to my wife when that happened because we were watching it together, and yeah. I'm like, that would not break diamonds. It's the like hardest the, substance on it. Yeah, the diamond would cut straight through that. <laughs> yeah. doesn't make any sense. So maybe it has something to, more to do with his strength, yeah. which actually then lends itself to why she would turn and follow him. I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, but, um, we've kind of seen too. She is attracted to power. Yes, you know she was certainly attracted to Shaw that way, and so. Yeah, I like. By the way, I like that uh, the actress. I don't know her name. She's from Mad Men as well. January Jones. Yes, 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 yes. I thought she did a great job with that character. She plays it very um, kind of the same way she plays Mad Men, where she's very calm. Uh, very, it's almost like a very uh, what do I want to say stoic performance. But in in Mad Men, I didn't appreciate it as much. In this in the in this film, I appreciated it because she's a character with this massive amount of power, and yet she's just going through like with a very stoic attitude, um, and it really contrasts well. So I thought she did a great job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all I've got, Bobby. Thanks for joining us today, man. Oh, my pleasure. This was fun. It was nice to revisit this. Like I said, I hadn't seen it in <laughs> quite some time, so it's uh, I've always enjoyed the the X Men movies and. The, the characters in general, like I said, I've read the books for years, so it's, uh, you know, I'm and I'm curious. I've not seen Dark Phoenix yet, um, but I don't, I'm curious what the future of the X-Men is going to be now that, you know, they are, they technically are part of the MCU going forward. Yeah. Well, um, that's what this whole series we're doing is leading up to. Our last episode of this series is going to be on Dark Phoenix, and that's when we'll finally talk about what we think about it. I mean, I've been, I've already been pretty vocal about what I think about it, but uh, I haven't seen it yet, so I will see it yeah, by the time this. Yeah, that's when we'll. But that's this is all building up to that, so uh, we'll get there for sure. But thanks for joining us for this one today. Oh, my sure. pleasure! Thanks so much for having me. It's Absolutely. been a while. Yeah, I, I always enjoy coming chatting with you guys. Yeah, and then we all and then make sure you also go on the Facebook group and enter to win the books. You don't yes, want to miss yes. that. Um, what's the hashtag again? The, hashtag the summer is of snow. The summer of snow. The summer of snow. Yeah, and this is not a Game of Thrones Jon Snow reference. No, 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 no. This is uh, <laughs> the Snow series. Get it right. Get it right. His this name is, is Abraham series. Snow. Oh, much. Yeah, yeah. There you go. As <laughs> it should be. As yes. it should be. Yeah. So um, go to the Facebook group. Do that, or send Bobby an email at bobby Na- bobby at bobbynash.com. Yes. Yes, and we will we will announce we will draw the the winner on July is it thirteenth or fourteenth fourteenth July fourteenth and at that point I will uh you know, inform the winner and then um we'll have uh, you guys will announce it here on a, on a future episode as well and definitely and uh, and just uh, thanks everyone in advance for uh, participating. Um, if by chance you want to learn more about the snow books before you uh, enter the contest, uh, you can go to www.ben-books.com. That's B-E-N-books.com. There is a snow tab there. They'll tell you all about the books. So if you want to look at it, what what's there before you enter the contest, or or if you don't win the contest and you want to you know buy some, there are links there as well. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you, Bobby. Always a fun talking to you. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Until next time, mutant and proud. (laughs) (laughs) That is it for today's show. Special thanks to Bobby Nash for joining us again. As we mentioned before, you can win a copy of Bobby's first book, Snow Falls, both an audiobook copy and an ebook copy by either going to our Facebook group, the Story Geeks Facebook group, and commenting on our post about the contest with the hashtag the summer of snow the other way you can enter is to send bobby an email directly at 
bobby at bobbynash.com and again include that hashtag the summer of snow and you could win his book as jay mentioned at the top of the show this is our first episode in our x-men series we've got a whole bunch more coming up including next week where we are going to make x-men apocalypse better so don't miss out on that make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on it If you enjoyed today's show or anything else that we've done, please share it with a friend and please think about giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would help us out quite a bit. We're going to switch over to our Aftercast now, so I hope you'll join us for that as well. We're going to be talking about even more stuff related to X-Men First Class, including why maybe you shouldn't trust Charles Xavier as much as you think you should. So get more information on our Aftercast and all our other content over at thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jessica Pritchett, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lujeau, Monty Thigpen, Nick Professional Police Officer, Ray DeLeon, Sam Pelokin, Wade Johnson, and an extra special thank you to our brand new patrons, Julian Armstrong and Nathan Miller. To gain access to our aftercast and to unlock more Patreon rewards or just to support the show, please head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.